It's neat to be in your presence, the fellowship of Christ together. Brother and sisters joined as a team, right, for a purpose. That's what God's called us for. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for being such a great God. We thank you that you love us so much. We can't comprehend it. We don't understand it. Lord, the sacrifice that you made for us, Lord, is hard for us to comprehend. But it's true. 2,000 years ago, you came and you died on the cross for our sins, and we thank you. Lord, we pray this morning that your word would come forth, Lord, in a way that would motivate us to action. That we would see the battle that we're in and the need for one another. Lord, we thank you that you built community for us, that we can live in it. We can find shelter in it. We can trust one another, Lord. We just ask, Lord, that today your spirit would come down, that we could glorify you and all that's said and all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Seriously, my feet are really hot. Oh, 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 oh. Tell me that was your stomach. I'm sure it was just under, from under ground. <laughs> sometimes our community strange herd one way or another we have been transformed by his amazing love and mercy because that makes us community and even more than that as the film shows as a herd of Christ followers we look after each other even if we might look a little strange to if you turn with me to Ecclesiastes 4 9 through 12 
we're going to listen to what the wise, wise guy has to say about all of this. Solomon states in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep each other warm. But how can one keep warm, warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not broken. This morning I want to talk about three important aspects of our strange herd. And why that community is so important. I don't know if you noticed, but I've, uh, I dressed a little bit different today. Normally in cargo pants. I had five pairs of cargo pants and that's all I ever wear. But uh, Teddy called me Saturday and he said, Hey, Doug, there's a sale in Luzerne. Come on down. You can get some clothes. You can get a bag full of clothes for $5. What was the place, Ted? Yeah, that was it. So I was like, yeah, all right, I'm in. So Dina and I ran down there, and I was able to get some new clothes because one of my herd members said I needed it. <laughs> and I appreciated that. And, and that's what we do. We support one another. We help each other. That's what community is all about. There's three aspects of community we want to talk about this morning. Number one, community is in the very nature of God. And we reflect his glory through it. Number two, community was important enough for Christ to exemplify it throughout his life, glorifying his Father. Number three, community is made up of one another's. And we're stronger because of it. First one we're going to talk about this morning is community is in the very nature of God. And we reflect his glory through it. The Holy Trinity. Three distinct persons with three distinct roles. All united in purpose in the personhood of God. Probably one of the hardest concepts for us to get a hold of sometimes is the Holy Trinity. Right? Since somebody could be here today. They're just coming off the street. They, they're not Christians. They don't understand the Bible. Unfortunately, we live in a time where things that we assumed, that people know they don't know anymore. We're in a post-Christian world. Right? Somebody comes in today and I talk about the Trinity, God, the three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They say, what? How does that work? One easy, simple illustration that we have is the egg. How many of you heard of the egg before? The egg illustration? Tom was the only one. Oh, no. That was another one. Um, and so we, we, we see that in the egg, there's the yolk, there's the white, and there's the shell that holds it all together. Right? But it's all the egg. That's the most simple way I can use, uh, or illustration I can use to describe the Trinity of God. But uh, I had the opportunity about 25 years ago when I, uh, I was working in an animation studio, and um, my, the boss I had was a believer, and, and I loved him. He, just, he was a great guy. And he brought out a book. I didn't read it, so I'm not the one that you thinking I'm smart. Maybe. <laughs> Nobody's thinking that right now, but it was a it was a it was a book uh, written by a quantum physicist who had come to know the Lord through the study of quantum physics. How does that happen? I don't know. You'd have to talk to him or read the book. And I can't remember the author or the book because it was 25 years ago. But I do remember this: he was studying the string theory, and that talks that's talking about all the different dimensions. Um, we, we initially talked about four dimensions that we were aware of. Then there was hypothesis, maybe there's five, now they're talking maybe 12, and who knows, that was 25 years ago. Who knows how many dimensions they might be working on now. But he was talking about how he came to know God through the study of quantum physics. Because this couldn't have happened by chance. There's too much, there's too much going on that works for it just to happen. If you were to, if you were to uh, play the lottery, and it was the big one, you know, the, the Powerball, whatever, I know, it's millions to one chance, right? You, you get, I don't know, 300 billion, it's 300 million people in the United States, but I think it's, it's like a 300 million to one. You'd never, you'd never, some of you do. 
You should. You shouldn't bet on it, okay? Because the chances are it's not going to happen. Well, the chance that creation just happened from chaos, from nothing, without the spark to ignite it, okay? We believe, as, as Christians, we believe that was God, right? That created it. Um, but there, there are others that don't. They believe it just, you know, it happened or it evolved in some way. But if you were to bet on that, now you're talking about 300s, you're in the trillions. It, 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 when we say there has to be trillions of years in creation, we have to say that if you're in science and you believe in evolution and things that evolved, you have to say that it's in the trillions because you have to play the odds. You can't say that it was 10,000 or or 100,000 years ago, or whatever you want to say, you can't, you can't even go there, because in order for this to happen, it was the chances are in the hundreds of trillions that it could happen. Anyway, that's a bunny trail. The point is this, that he talked about the Trinity. And this is how he described it, and I like it. He said, just imagine you've got a computer, okay, so we're going to use this, it's a lot smaller home. And he said that, in the computer, the programs that are written are intelligent life, okay? So just assuming this. It's not real, so don't look at your phone funny. That when they're looking to see who their creator is, they look up at the screen, they look up, at, uh, up into the sky, and that's their screen, and they see a finger as I'm, as I'm moving around here. And they go, oh, that's God. God is, God's a finger. That's him. And then a minute later, I, I put my middle finger on there with my forefinger, and I start moving it around. They go, wait, God, he's two fingers. And then, and then there's the third. Well, what they don't see is that behind, now we see it because we have scripture to tell us. Okay? That explains it in scripture. But what they don't see is the immensity of God behind the screen. That he's so much more than that. And God has condescended to us the Holy Scripture. He is given it to us in a way that we can understand it. And when he talks about the Holy Trinity and you say, well, I'm kind of stuck there, it's okay. Because God is bigger than what we can imagine. I'm okay with that. Because I don't want God to be something that I can figure out. Because he's God. And it takes a lot of hubris to think we can figure God out. But we can't. He's amazing. So amazing that when Moses was up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, God said, Moses, don't look at me. Your head's going to pop. Right? It's a paraphrase. But he said, it's too much. It's too much for you, Moses. Don't look at me. You, you, you can't see the fullness of who I, who I am. It's not going to be good for you. So he did it. But he glowed later when he walked away because of the power, the majesty, the greatness of our God. Right? He only saw it for what God could do there. <coughs> however, he made it so that, 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 uh, that he, Moses could see him. You know, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, united for a purpose, and they're in community. And that's the point, that God from the beginning, he himself is community, he is the example of how it all starts. God the Father... Just tapped on the wrong thing here. I knew it was going to happen. There, I got it back. Um, God the Father designed and organized how mankind would be redeemed. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when, we set uh, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption of sonship. In Walbert and Zeck's commentary, they state that God marks the fact that divine intervention brought hope and freedom to mankind. As a human father chose the time for his child to become an adult son, so the Heavenly Father chose the time for the coming of Christ to make provision for the people, the peoples, us, transition from bondage under the law to spiritual sonship. God set the plan in motion. God the Father. And then God the Son acted upon it. God the Son, all the Father gives me will come to me. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The son carried out the plan. John 6, 37-38. He followed the father's instruction to come to earth, even though that meant he would have to die. Christ was born under the law as a Jew. He kept the perfect law and finally paid its curse and freed us from its bondage. Jesus Christ came to earth, accepted the decaying flesh. He, he was God. He was perfect. He decided to come to earth in human form to save us. What a sacrifice that was. And we're going to talk more about that. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, with the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will, and will remind you of everything I said to you. John 16, 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And Romans 1, 19 through 20, Paul says, since that since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Creation cries out about God, the universe. Right? We know from science, okay? And I, and I believe in science. We know from science, the tracking of light, that the universe comes from one point and exploded forth. What triggered that? Who created that, that moment? Right? If we believe that an action that takes place has to, causes a reaction, then what caused that action? Right? It's everything's cause and effect. So what caused that to happen. We believe it's God. God created it. And his perfect plan in the community of God the Father, Son, and the Spirit, he sent his Son, that's part of his plan, to die for us, and he sent the Holy Spirit. And he sees to it that every person feels a call toward God's saving grace, and even more, he transforms the lives and hearts of those who receive salvation through Jesus Christ. The Trinity has everything to do with Christian faith. It's deeply centered on community. People living in harmony. Respect and love for one another. The Trinity is about perfect harmony being realized in unity. It is about the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the three acting together. Is one. In creation, it's probably the, the, the one time where we really see all three working together. All three of the Trinity of Godhead are, are referred to as participants, a team working together in community, the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1-2, seen moving over the surface of the waters just prior to creation. The Son of God is mentioned as being a part of creation, his Son through whom also he made the worlds, Hebrews 1-2. Both the Father and the Son are involved here. Of the Son it is said, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's Colossians 1-16. It's the three creating communities started right from the beginning. And next, God starts getting into what was good about his creation. I want, to, I want to look at that together. So if you turn with me to Genesis 1, we're going to look at 9 through 24, okay? I'm going to move quickly. I'm not going to read every word, okay? So I'm going to just kind of paraphrase through each verse here that's important for the sermon, but I want you to look at it, Okay? So let's look at the story here. Genesis 1-9. God created water and sky, and God saw that it was good. Yeah, that's a paraphrase. 
Verse 12, God created land, trees, and God, and saw that it was good. God, in 18, verse 18, God created day and night, light and the stars, and God saw that it was good. And then in verse 21, God created the great creatures and the birds and filled the seas, and God saw that it was good. In verse 24, God created livestock and wild animals, and God saw that it was good. You get the point? See, see what we're there. God saw that his creation was good. But interestingly enough, God created man, and it was the one thing he said, hey, this isn't so good. God created man to be in fellowship with him. But even that wasn't enough. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Everything was good up until then. But it wasn't good for man to be alone. And God created his helper. God created us with a need to have fellowship with others. Adam and Eve weren't the same. They didn't always believe the same thing. As far as, you know, choices that were made there. But God called them to be together. It wasn't enough that God said, um, Adam, I want you to have fellowship with me. Because Adam was in perfect fellowship with God. Right? That wasn't enough. God saw and made it, built within us, a need for somebody else. So he created Eve. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis 2, 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the family, the family's created right there. Right? Husband and wife coming together. And then they have children. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother. More unity in fellowship. And that unity in fellowship creates more unity in fellowship. And it glorifies God. That unity, that community that he created, it glorifies him. And that word's really important. We're going to talk about what that word means in the Greek and the point they're trying to get across. Because what you have to understand is God is trying to show the evidence of the, the reason why he's in community and why it's important for you to be in The Greek word to glorify is doxazo. And you're thinking, Doug, you're pronouncing that wrong. But Google said to pronounce it that way. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. It means to reflect, to show forth, to demonstrate, and to express the image of an object or person. That it may be seen by all. It means to add something to someone's character that it, in and of itself, does not have. In the New Testament, the word can mean to signify, extol, and ascribe honor to. John 11.4, John 12.16, John 12.23, John 13.31. There's a lot of scripture here. You can look that up. It is most important or most often used as an external manifestation. According to the scripture, to glorify God means to bring Christ's innate glory or radiance to light or manifest it, or to reflect it. To glorify God and to glorify Christ is to reflect His character. It means reflecting His presence, His essence, His life, His name. So to glorify God is to, is to manifest all that God is, not just what makes us comfortable, right? When you join, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're a Christian, you join the team. You agreed to what it says in the scripture. Now, if you didn't read the manual, that's not my fault. Read the manual. Okay? But you joined the team. And God says, listen, when you came to me, you gave up who you were. Your job's not to glorify you. I don't want to see your image. I want to see my image. Because it's good. Because my image is beautiful. Because God is about glorifying himself. And sometimes when we hear that, we say, God's glorifying himself. He's about glorifying himself. It sounds arrogant. But it's not arrogant. It's perfect. It's perfect because God is all that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is light and life 
And he says, I want you to manifest that in your life. Right? We do that in community. It's showing forth his self, not ours. So community and fellowship are in the very nature of God. They glorify God. Jesus sought to glorify the Father. In John 14, 13, Jesus said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In John 16, 14, Jesus says to God, He will glorify me because it is of God. I'm sorry. He says of God. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. It is his glory brought to light in us. In John 11, 4, Jesus is speaking to the messenger. This is the messenger that uh, Martha and Mary sent to Jesus because Lazarus is dying. He's sick. And they're saying, boy, somebody tell Jesus what's going on. Lazarus is really sick and he could die. Well, somebody go tell him. I'm sure he wants to know the information. Jesus was, he was doing his ministry. He, well, he, he was aware of what was going on with Lazarus. He knew that his act of what seemed like neglect was really going to turn out to glorify God. And Jesus, speaking to a messenger, he says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, the, that God's Son may be glorified through it. And what did he do? He raised Lazarus. And what happened? God was glorified. People saw the manifestation of God through Jesus Christ because of the miracle that he performed. Because in faith he knew what could happen. Jesus and his disciples were heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to set this up for you a little bit. Uh, they, they just had the Passover together. And, and God started, Jesus started to talk about some pretty heavy stuff. Okay? Sharing the Passover, some of them kind of got a sense, because if you remember, that's when uh, he told um, Judas. He told Judas, he said, Judas, go do what you got to do. And everybody's like, what? What's he talking about? Okay, then they start to walk on their way to Gethsemane. And all of a sudden, it's really heavy. He's starting to talk about all the things that are going to happen to him. And the disciples are going, what's going on? It wasn't that long ago that we just came, we came, you came into the city triumphant, and now all of a sudden things are getting heavy. Why are things getting heavy? Jesus prays in that moment, understanding what's about to happen to him. He prays to be glorified, to manifest all that God is. And Jesus looked up into the heavens. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That your Son may glorify you. And Jesus died for us. He went and was beaten and spat upon. And he endured it all for you and I. And he glorified God. Why? Because it was the Father's plan. So what do we do when we properly reflect God in community? We glorify God. We reflect his image, showing who his nature in community is. Community was important, number two, because Christ exemplified it throughout his life. Right? When Christ came down, he chose to be in community. He chose to be born in a family. He didn't have to. He could have come as a man, couldn't he have? He's gone. He could have just come and said, okay, I'm here. I'm out and change everything. But he didn't. He, came, he chose to be a baby. Right? A human baby is so vulnerable, so weak, so dependent on its mother and its father. Brian's going to find that out tomorrow. <laughs> I'm excited for him. But Jesus... Jesus chose to come down and be a baby, to experience what it means to be a child, to be weak, and to grow in a dynamic of community, family, community, and fellowship, growing up in the midst of all of that and the risk that it was to Almighty God. Because it was. Because you know what? Mary and Joseph were perfect. Jesus chose that. Chose to come down in community. 
Joseph had brothers and sisters, a mother and a father. In Matthew 13, 55, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? He was God in the flesh. He could have come in any way he wanted, but he chose to come as a child, weak and in need for the protection of family community. To experience the community of family with all its complexities, he chose to be a part of a strange herd. Again, he was a perfect God. He came down to be a part of a broken family. John 1.14, the Word became flesh. And that's the Word that was in God. That was the Word that was God. And He was made to dwell with us. We have seen His glory. The glory, the reflection of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus, living on the glory of God in fellowship with God, exemplifying who He is. It was in community that Christ showed God's glory. That's how He started His life, right? But then later on, He became a loner and decided He could do it all by Himself, right? No. Right? No. That was the answer. I was expecting a big war of no's. No, he didn't. He chose disciples and apostles. He surrounded himself with people. At 30 years old, Jesus set out on his three-year journey to change the world. Jesus chose to grow and start his ministry in community. And boy, it was a crazy herd he chose. Right? Think about it. He's a rabbi. Back in that time, this is how rabbis work. If, 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 I, if I were a rabbi, Brian would come to me and say, Rabbi, could I be taught under you? And I would look at Brian and go, mm, I don't know. Is he going to reflect all that I want to be and all that I am? Right? And then maybe he would accept the person. Jesus didn't do that at all. He went out and chose people. And what a group he chose. He didn't, chose, he didn't choose any theologians, right? He went out and he chose a bunch of fishermen. You know what I'm going to have to help me change the world? I know. I'm going to get those guys out there, the smelly ones. The guys that smell like fish that are working really hard. They're going to be a part of my team. He surrounded himself with disciples. In Matthew 12, 48 through 50, but Jesus answered the one who was uh, telling him and said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, his crazy herd, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, he is my sister, he is my mother. This is community, fellowship, family, all united by Christ. They didn't choose him. He ended up choosing people from all different walks of life. A tax collector. Now, we may or may not. I don't dislike my tax collector. I don't. She's a nice woman. I don't like that I have to give her my money. I don't like that. But back in that time, tax collectors would skim a little. So they weren't, they didn't have a great reputation. So typically, they weren't the kind of guy you invited over. Oh, I know what, let's hang out with Matthew, the tax collector. He's such a great guy. Probably wasn't Matthew's reputation at the time. He chose fishermen, chose a doctor, and he chose a zealot. None of them were scholars with master's degree in Jewish theology. And some of you might be saying, yeah, how about Paul? Paul came later. So he wasn't, he wasn't there. They were a strange herd, but they prayed together, encouraged and strengthened one another, and they changed the world together. Jesus didn't choose to change the world alone. He chose to do it with others. Jesus lived out the concept of community from the very beginning with the Godhead, and then into his life on earth with his brothers and his sisters 
He chose. So why would Jesus choose to be a part of, of a community and fellowship? And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for this, but there was one I was thinking about that I chose. Because you can't start a movement that changes the world without community and fellowship. You don't do it alone. You do it with brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't go out and fight a battle by yourself, right? How many armies have you seen? Hey, there's 10,000 guys out there that want to fight us. I'll go. I'll go. By myself. I think I can do it. That doesn't happen. No, we got a group around us to help us. Are you changing the world? Do you even want to? Okay, so we learned that number one, community is in the very nature of God. Number two, community was important enough for Jesus to exemplify it through his life. That brings us to number three. Community is made up of love of one another's. And that makes us strong. Sociologists who study spirituality and religion in the Western world say there are two things that are true about Americans and Europeans in our day and age. The first thing is that there is an enormous spiritual hunger. And I know a lot of us will say, really? Because in a post-Christian world, it just doesn't feel that way. But there is. There's a spiritual hunger. Where are they looking? That's a different question. And at least in the United States, it is at an all-time high. And second, there's a move away from institutional religion. So you have all the spiritual hunger, but people don't want to go to church. And, and, and listen, we've got to own that. What are we doing? We can't blame the world for being bad. They were born that way. So were we. It's only through the, the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ that we're different, and most of the time we don't live that way. But thank God for grace. When Christians were asked this question, do you believe that you can be a very good Christian without being a part of the church? An overwhelming 81% said yes. And that's not good. 81% of Christians said, no, I don't need the church to be a good Christian. Yes, you do. That's crazy talk. You need one another. We build up one another. The scripture says it. The directions are right here. We, we've got it right here. God gave it. He said, here, I got, here's the instruction manual. And I know for a lot of us guys, that's terrible because we don't like to read instructions. We just want to put it together. I, now, and it's true. I'm, I'm just as guilty. I don't know how many times I, I put a grill together once. I put the whole grill together and I realized there was a piece missing. And you know where, where it belonged going? At the very beginning of the setup, yeah. I had to tear it all apart and do it again. But I knew how to put it together after that. <laughs> Vance Packard, an American journalist and social critic, called America a nation of strangers. As a result, we're experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in society. One Gallup poll reported that four in ten Americans admit to frequent feelings of intense loneliness. Americans are, in fact, the loneliest people in the world. We hardly know our neighbors, and we're okay with that. We lost community. We have so many things that distract us and make us feel comfortable. We can hide in them. And they're... And I have, so I, I joke with Dina all the time, because I'll watch a Netflix show that I really like, and when it gets over because I binge-watched it, I go, ah, oh, my friends are gone for a while. <laughs> That's not real friendship. That's not fellowship. No matter how much I love them. <laughs> Listen, we're in a battle. Barney Fife would never get his job done effectively without Andy to back him up. <laughs> we need our family to give us strength in those tough moments of life. It can't be done alone. If you're doing it alone, you're crazy. Don't do it alone. During World War II, there was an esteemed German pastor, theologian, anti-Nazi dissident named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He gave his life 
for his Christian beliefs. He was hung for his stand against Hitler and the Nazi regime. His writings on Christian's role in, secular, in the secular world have become widely influential, and his book, The Cost of Discipleship, has been described as a modern classic. In his book, Life Together, he speaks strongly of the importance of Christian community. He says the community is in and through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ. All that Christ is, is a part of community. We saw that already. We already walked through that. It's, it's who God is. He says, no Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief, single encounter, or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another through Jesus Christ. This is a hard one. Because a lot of us aren't extroverts. I'm an extrovert, so it's easy for me. There's introverts out there saying, what? Here's the thing. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. If we believe in Jesus, whether we've read the instructions or not, they're still true. You'll find out if you don't put the right pieces and you'll be going back like I did and doing it over. That we accepted that God was a God of community and we accepted the fact and, and said we would join the team that is a team. It's full of other people. You don't get to be alone. You don't have to be alone. That's really good news. You say, yeah, but relationships are messy. Yes, they are. They're strange herds. We can't live without them. We need each other. And we grow from each other. We grow when Jason is saying mean things to me on a daily basis. I grow from that. Jason, stop it. <laughs> what does this mean? It means first that a Christian needs others because of Jesus Christ. He made us that way. Second, it means that other people come to Christ by the example of Jesus Christ in others. It takes people to bring people to Christ. And third, and you say, well, yeah, really? Yes, because even the scriptures had to be written by people. So we need other Christians who speak God's word to us. We need others again and again. When we become uncertain and discouraged by ourselves, we cannot help ourselves without a true notion of the truth. We need someone that is outside of the circumstance that we might be in, that sees it more clearly, that can speak truth into our lives. How many of us, I have been, I hate to admit it, but in a moment of anger, when your logic section of your brain turns off, because that's what happens, many of you get angry. So those of you that you think that, that anger is somehow a, a good tool to use, it's not. I promise you, you look down most of the time. Because the logic section of your brain shuts off. Most of the time, you don't make sense anymore. And that's why fights, they, they, they develop into something more. Because you have two people that all of a sudden don't make any sense yelling at each other. Right? We need someone that's on the outside that can speak truth and say, hey, wait a minute, take a breath. I want to help you. We need another as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. We need another solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in our heart is weaker than the Christ in the word is weaker than the Christ in the word of our brother. Our own heart is uncertain. Our brother's is sure. We look to others for truth and encouragement. Christ isn't weak, but our own heart is. And we need to hear Christ through another. That's why you're here today, right? You don't need to go to church if you got it. You're wasting your time. Don't, don't, come, don't come to church because you, you feel like there's an obligation. Don't. Don't waste that time. You're not, there's no brownie points with God. He already loves you. Desperately. Already gave his son for you. Okay? He doesn't need you to come to church to earn his favor. He can't earn it. He gave it. It's free. Amen. Don't come to just sit on Sundays and waste time. Come because you want to be a part of a fellowship and a community that works together to grow, to change the world. That's what he called us to. This is meaningless. The building would only be a gathering place. It's, we're a club. What are we, are we a club? Is 
it just we meet on Sundays and we just hang out together? Like the lions or the elks? We just start doing some weird things? <laughs> no! We're believers in Jesus Christ. We're unified and we have a purpose. And that clarifies the goal of all Christian community. We meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. And as such, God permits us to meet together and gives us community. Our fellowship is founded solely upon Jesus Christ. And in it, we glorify Him. We reflect Him. The evidence of this is throughout the New Testament. Fifty-nine times it's mentioned one another. One another. I'm not going to read all 59. We'll be here forever. I've only got two more hours left. There are 14 love one another's. In James 5.16, pray for each other. Colossians 3.16, admonish one another. In Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. First Colossians, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 12.25, have equal concern for one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, encourage one another. How can you do that if you're not in fellowship? If you're sitting at home by yourself, you can't have fellowship. You can't do any of the 59 one another's that you're told to do. We have to be in fellowship. How can you do any of that if you're not in fellowship or in Christian community? And that community is our church. And our church is a family. There's a lot of analogies out there for Christians who are just disconnected from the church. Football player without his team. Tuba player without his band, or his orchestra, and a sheep without his flock. But the best, and probably most biblical, is an orphan without a family. A child without a family. And we're not children without a family because Christ took care of that already. If you're a Christian, you've been adopted. There's no reason to be alone anymore. He doesn't want you to be alone. 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy 3.15 Paul refers to the church as the family of God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. God does not want his children to grow up in isolation from each other. So he created a spiritual family on earth for us. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.19, you are members of God's very own family. And you belong in God's household with other Christians. Not just hanging out for the, the sake of hanging out, but because you want to grow and be strong together. Because your purpose is to bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So a Christian without fellowship is an orphan. Our perspective of the church should be that it's a family. We're not an institution. Since the 1960s, Americans have become increasingly anti-institutional. They use the phrase organized religion with contempt. And yet on the other hand, people are longing for a sense of family and community. So whose fault is that? If they're looking for it, we have to ask ourselves, are we providing it? Are we providing an atmosphere of family and community? Today, there are a number of factors that have fragmented the nuclear, uh, nucleus, nuclear family. I don't mean nuclear, like glowing. The high divorce rate, delayed marriage, the emphasis on individuality, alternative lifestyles, one parent not dedicated to raising the child in the home, and the high rate of mobility. In our mobile society, people have few roots. We are no longer surrounded by the extended family of aunts and uncles, grandparents and brothers, sisters that provide a safety net for us and for the people around. So at, at the mission, 
one of the things that most of the people that were homeless had the problem with, if something happened, a tragedy, uh, some kind of tragedy in their life, um, or, or maybe they just made a bad, a bad mistake. Now normally, way back in the day, you would have, you'd be surrounded by family. You'd be surrounded by the community of family. You'd have your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents. They, they'd get around you and try to help you. Well now, we move. And so, yeah, you know, my parents live, and I do, they live in Massachusetts, right? My brother is down in uh, Lancaster. He used to be in Ohio. You know, we're spread all out. I went to Kenya. What a great opportunity this was. I went to Kenya about four years ago. And I got to do a mission trip there. And I was in a village called Tumutuma. And um, we were really there just to empower the people and help them. But the neat thing was is that they are so community-oriented. Now, they all have cell phones, interestingly enough. If you go into their homes, they do have dirt floors. I went to a woman's house where she took me into her kitchen, which is another shed with a little fire and with rocks. And, and she cooked on this. It wasn't a pan. It was more like a flat rock with a hot. They had, they had telephones. They wanted to be like us. Right? They didn't understand the riches that they had because they thought they were in poverty, but they were rich because they have community. They helped one another. When somebody was hurt, when there was a villager that hurt his back and they couldn't get, that person couldn't get all the farming done, the whole village came over. And they took care of it. When they needed water for the village, we helped provide the money, we went over and helped a little bit, but the entire village came out and did the work. They worked as community. They want to be like us. We're poor in community. We're rich in things. We all have these. We got the TV we sit in front of. Binge watching our Netflix. It's me. God wants us to be in community because the life is short, guys. Tomorrow has no guarantees. It's today that matters. Today. What are we doing today? We always think that we have more time. Christian community is simply sharing a common life in Christ. It moves us beyond our self-centered lives and beyond the superficial social contracts or contacts that pass for Christian fellowship. The biblical idea of community should challenge us instead to commit ourselves to life together as the people of God. Christian community is the place of our continuing growth. Its goal is that individually and together we should become mature, no longer knocked around by clever religious hucksters. Something Teddy would say, huckster. <laughs> but we're glorifying God together. We stand tall and straight. We reflect the image of Christ and our Heavenly Father. In Ephesians 4.16, from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. So if we're failing, if we're not really making a difference in society, and you have to ask yourself, really, if 12 guys could change the world, 2,000 years later we're still talking about Jesus and what He did. If 12 guys could do it, why can't we? There's more than 12 here. Let's just change our backyard. Let's just reach NPA for Jesus Christ. Can we do that? Yeah. Don't do it alone. Do it in community. So what is fellowship good for? Number one, fellowship is our way to see Christ in others. Two, fellowship is our source of accountability and guidance. We need other people. Number three, fellowship is our place to pray and worship, and we did that this morning. Number four, it's our place to serve. So many different ways we can serve God here. Not just in our church, but our church reaches out to the community. You can be a part of one of those ministries. Fellowship is our witness to the world. So what are the three important aspects of our strange herd? And why that community is so important. Number one, community is in the very nature of God. We saw it from the beginning. Number two, community was important enough for Christ to exemplify it throughout his life. Number three, community is made up of one another's. And that 
makes us strong. True community doesn't happen overnight. But when each person in the family begins to wrestle with their own place in the church and takes a step towards deep relationship, slowly the community grows. People who would normally never hang out together in the strange herd that we are begin to love each other and even lay down their lives for each other for one simple reason. Because Jesus did it for us. It's my prayer. That our community would become a place filled with people who know each other as brothers and sisters, fellow workers and fellow soldiers. To the world, we might look like a strange herd. We might look crazy. That's okay. But when the love of Jesus flows through us, they'll desperately want to join in the amazing journey of faith. Do we reflect the glory of God? Do people get excited? Do they long for what it is that you have? That's what you're called to be. And we're, we don't have to do it alone. We get to do it together. Why did you do that? You could have died trying to save me. That's what happens when you're part of a herd. You look after each other. Are you a part of a herd? Have you considered joining a herd? Don't join a membership just to be a member, like, again, we're some kind of club, because that's not it. You're a part of a body, a body of believers, that when we work together, we can change the world. Maybe you're out there and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. You think, Doug, I have no idea what you're talking about. I lost you in the cartoon. That's okay. It's this simple. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, right? Who knows the verse? Brian, give it to me. You know it? Am I putting you on the spot? If you know in your heart that Jesus is Lord, right? If that's what you're off and you raised, you didn't help me. You'd be saved. It's belief. You just have to believe in God. Trust that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. Because you couldn't do it by yourself. If you're out there and you think, well, you guys don't have it together. You're a bunch of Christians and I know you don't have it together. Yep, you're right. We don't. You don't go to the hospital because you're well. You go to the hospital because you're sick. We're all sick and we know it. And through the grace of God, we're saved. And you can be too. And I want to pray with you. But if you are saved and you know God, then I encourage you today to do something about it. We've got life groups coming up in March. Join a team. Let it be your own little platoon. Grow, strengthen one another. Don't do life by yourself. That's not what God has intended for you. Will you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. We love you and we praise you, Lord. All we want to do is glorify you. We want to reflect your image to the world that needs you. Help us, Lord. We need your spirit, your Holy Spirit to fill, encourage us, inspire us like that fire that we need. Bring back the joy of our salvation so that we want to tell others about Jesus. I don't know how to do it in my own life. I don't know how to do it for others. Lord, we need you. Please, God, let us be a light to this community. When people think about the family at Cross Creek, that they think, man, those people are a crazy herd, and they're doing some things that are insane, but they love Jesus, and they're changing the world around them. Help us, Lord, to be that. And if you don't know Jesus, but you want to, and you want to be a part of the herd, then it's, this is the start. This is your first step. Just pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for what you did. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came to earth 2,000 years ago, and it's history, and I believe it. And he died on the cross willingly to wash away my sins, that I can stand before the righteous and glory, uh, 
glory and majesty of God. And I want to reflect you. Touch my heart. Clean me and make me new. If you haven't done that, I pray that you would. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would be with us as a congregation that would inspire and motivate us. Make us into the men and women you called us to be. Thank you.